There are many wonderful people adding to the positive outlook of a backcountry and hunting lifestyle. Our goal is to join them in promoting that outlook. Welcome to the Backcountry Dreaming Podcast, where we share stories, tips, and tactics of our outdoor pursuits. Welcome back to the Backcountry Dreaming Podcast, everyone. Brian here once again, and I'm really excited because I've got my good buddy and team member, Contact Outdoors team member, Cody Brown. With hey, me. everybody. <laughs> How's it going, man? Doing good. Doing going good. good. Yeah. yeah. So why do we always do that? At the beginning of podcasts, it's like we haven't been hanging out for the last hour, and we ask <laughs> And haven't other. fully discussed what we want to discuss. <laughs> right. It's like we just walked into the room together <laughs> right. for the so first time. Right, so at the time. beginning, I'm, how you doing, man? And I already know how you're doing. <laughs> It's awesome. True. So, guys, we're here today in Owenton, Kentucky. That's right. Which is really cool. We're going to talk a little bit about this place, and we're actually in a coffee shop. What's the name of this coffee shop? Uh, Bird Dogs, actually. Bird Very Dogs. fitting. Yeah, it's fitting for this podcast. And actually, right now, we're sitting at a little table here in one of the back rooms, and there's actually a bird dog, like, tapestry. Yeah, or, what like is that? sewn, I don't know, it's got some fabric sewn into it, but it's painted also. I don't know. Yeah, it looks like an Irish setter, some kind of pointer, and they're flushing a pheasant. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So, yeah, what, this is Bird Dog's Coffee Shop, and Cody and I wanted to just take a little time today to talk about our whitetail seasons, and this podcast will be coming out about, oh, three weeks before whitetail season closes for most people. Yeah. You know, most, most states. Yeah. A little so, bit longer here in Kentucky, but for yeah. The, where does it? How long does it go? Um, it'll go all the way through the fifteenth of January for okay. us. So a little bit longer. So about fifteen days longer than Minnesota. Uh, we're out, you know, the first of the year. Mm-hmm. So archery but, and crossbow in Kentucky now, um, with the new law that passed this year, our uh, crossbow season goes all the full length of archery season except for the first two weeks. Okay. Now, wow, yep. and, that I and, didn't know. And it's not. Um, you don't have to you know, prove that you need to use a crossbow, like crossbow are now legal take during archery season, except for the first two weeks. Wow. Yeah. Big change. Yeah. That's interesting. That's great. But you guys have so many deer, so many deer here. And that was the the big thing. They, the department did a huge study here in Kentucky to just make sure and see what sort of effects that was going to have on the deer population as a whole. And we just don't, we just didn't have enough people using crossbows to to make that much of a difference and i think they said maybe like a 15 percent increase they were expecting across the state the guys that were diehard into archery are probably going to stick with it mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so the biggest thing will be outside of the state yeah um the people that that come in because our season comes in before a lot of states and stays uh longer you know is in season longer than a lot of states and so that's the only outside effect that they are kind of just waiting to see what happens what sort of people are like i can hunt two weeks earlier in kentucky with a crossbow than my home state (laughs) and what that might look like you know right right yeah that's interesting and and it's funny how many conversations surround method of take when it comes to the the weapon of choice so much you know and and people get super fired up on both sides of that debate which i think you and i we've talked about it some you know obviously our view is the more advanced the the equipment the easier the take 
when it comes to that moment. Not mm -hmm. not necessarily maybe the easier the take in that specific season. Right. Because I've heard people talk about, you know, uh, firearm season in certain places for elk being extremely difficult right. because right. they've already been pressured and hunted and yep. they're not you're not calling them in like yep. archery. But when it comes to just the efficiency of the weapon itself, I don't think there's any argument that, you know, a, a, a firearm is... Uh, is is easier than a crossbow, is easier than a compound, exactly. is easier than a traditional bow. Exactly. I mean, yeah. it's just, yeah. yeah, it just would seem to be that way. Yeah, and, and I think a, a big portion of it, too, is you, you really just have to understand uh, how often people are going to get to hunt. You know, one of the reasons that we firearm hunted growing up so much was it was like my dad worked during the week. I had school. You know, with the time change, it was like, you're not hunting right after school unless I got out of school, went straight to the stand, which I was able to do. But by, you know, 530, it's dark. Right. And so, you know, those main weekends were what we hunted. And so you took advantage of firearm season because you knew that you were only had that specific amount of time to hunt and you wanted to be as efficient as you could Right. During that time, you right. know, and so I never even knew it was a debate growing up. It's just <laughs> right. what you did. Right, right, right. And then like as you, you know, get the opportunity to hunt more and start listening to other people's opinions and thoughts and stuff on it, you see that this is it's a big thing that people debate sure. often, you know. It's debated in Minnesota for sure, the crossbow uh compound issue. Yeah. Is and you know, it's different. For us, my view of it is it's different than here. Here in Kentucky, the deer density is so high yeah. that you, you know, you, your your goal is to harvest a, a considerable amount of deer from the population each year. And I feel like in Minnesota, it's not necessarily that way, especially in certain areas of the state. Right. I mean, it almost seems the further north you go in Minnesota, the deer densities kind of peter out. Right. And when I was growing up in, you know, north central Minnesota, I sat, I, I shot one deer with a rifle. I, I started hunting right after being able to go through firearm safety. Right. I, I didn't bow hunt, uh, you know, till I moved here and we'll talk about that a little bit later, but I bow hunted from like age 12 to age 18, literally maybe laying eyes on a few deer and sitting in the stand and it's cold and, and I shot one deer in all that time with yeah. my rifle, right. you know, and, it, and cause we just didn't see them. And so I think when you think about making you know, and I've shot a crossbow, and, and the thing is, is I've practiced now for 10 years with a compound, yeah. and I can't shoot a target at 70 yards like I can just picking up a crossbow off the shelf, sighting it in, and I can start, sh I can start laying them in there at 70 yards yeah. easily because it's so, it's so like a gun yes. at that distance. And, and, and nearly the speed. Some yeah, of those newer crossbows are ridiculous mm -hmm. at the speed yeah. that, that you can shoot. And, and just like having said, a scope. Right on. Yes. You know, you yeah. feel like you're shooting a gun. A scope with a trigger. Yeah, basically, you know? yeah, because a lot of them have that red dot, you know. And so out to 60, 70, 80, some guys can shoot them up to 100 yards very accurately. Yeah. Yeah, and there's people that can that can that are have been able to practice enough to do that with a compound, and then traditional guys are just to me that the people who are really good traditional archers, to me, are just a different level. You're like, man, that is crazy to watch somebody do that. There's a range by my house, uh, and I go once in a while, and and once in a while there'll be a traditional archer there, and when he's 
even at 20 yards, laying those arrows in, just yeah. like almost touching each other. I'm like, dude, this guy practices probably multiple times every day. Yeah, it's a different level of commitment yeah, when yeah. you get into that. Right, where the sure. mechanics of a compound are, are a lot easier with, you know, your just your mechanics are, are not as important and those yep. bows can be extremely forgiving and but yeah it's and and all that to say i mean cody and i are both pro crossbow for sure and i know all the guys on the team are pro crossbow it's just you gotta i think you gotta for your area decide do we want to make it easier to take animals off the landscape when maybe there aren't as many as other areas yeah and that's, that's as it, and that's what it is in kentucky you just you don't have that problem yet there are a few zones within the um, state. Once you get over into Eastern Kentucky, you got a lot of ma- more mountainous type regions, right? So yep. you have, you know, basically offshoots of the Appalachians that come through that part of the state. And so deer densities there are much lower than they are in what is considered zone one where we're at, <laughs> yeah. where they're just begging you. There's so much agriculture yep. here that they're begging you to take it off. So they're making whatever legal, you know, method of take that they right, can because right. the statistics are that, um, like 90% of Kentucky hunters take one animal, one deer per whitetail season. Yeah, 90%. 90%. Which is crazy. So most people are taking one and they're and they're done. And right. so when you look at hunting numbers in general in decline, you know, you're looking for ways to take more animals from that what they believe to be around 4 million deer in the Kentucky herd yeah. out. You're going <laughs> to do whatever you can and whatever method right. take to encourage people to get out sure. who might be intimidated by a compound bow to then right. take it, try it, you know. Well, totally. And I loved hunting growing up. You know, I, I, I obviously started with, out with fishing and then squirrel hunting and grouse hunting with my grandfather. But when it, when it came to whitetail hunting, if had I not had a grandfather that really pushed me to continue and not give up, it would have been easy for somebody like me in, in north central Minnesota to to not want to do it anymore. Right. As a young kid, never seeing deer. I mean, sit in the stand a whole season and not see a deer, you know, it, it just it was it would have been very easy for me to say, not nah, forget about this. But if you're going out and you're seeing deer and it's action packed and there's a lot going on, then it it helps to keep people's interest. You know, Definitely. that's why when we talk about taking young kids hunting, we talk about taking waterfowl hunting or, or, or turkey hunting, something where you're interacting with the animal, Yep. you know, and, and for whitetail hunting, a lot of times and in a lot of places, it's just not that way. It's a ton of patience yep. and just grinding through and trying to figure out where they are and what they're doing and so we, I know we wanted to talk about that a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about, um, while we're talking about Kentucky, just the history. Because uh, right now we're in, um, we're in one of the better areas yeah. for whitetail hunting, just when it comes to, to deer densities. Yep. And I've hunted in this, this area. And when I moved to Kentucky, uh, gosh, 2007, yeah. is when I moved to Kentucky, and then I was here till 2013. So I spent some time, and that's where I found, uh, well, bow hunting found me through <laughs> right. our mutual, mutual friends. Friend. We had two guys that were super excited about uh, about hunting, and specifically archery hunting. Yeah. 
and and Steve Meadows, who we've talked about before, and then Juan Fernandez, yep. who's a Spaniard. Which yeah. it's funny that he was one of those guys that was trying to get us it's excited great. about it because you don't hear about many you know Spaniards that are like, man, you need to try whitetail hunting. Yeah, I know. You know? He was all about it too. Yeah, yeah. So we so Cody and I met at a church here and had these guys you know really talk to us about getting a, getting bows and starting to to archery hunt and you know, mainly for me the it just clicked because it's like, man, why would I not want to extend my season by about huge. three months? Yeah. It's really, huge. you know, and, uh, and then obviously hunting here, just seeing deer, it was a complete contrast and, and the deer population and dynamics have, have, have adjusted, um, for the better in Minnesota mm-hmm. since that time when I was young. So it's a lot better now, but still compared to here, it's not quite where you're going out and you're like, you know, I'm going to for sure see deer tonight. Yeah. It'll just be whether they come within range or that, give me an that's opportunity. That's the biggest thing. So in zone one, where we're at now, just kind of talking about history, um, statewide, uh, if you flash back to like 1920s, they, they believe there were fewer than 2,000 white-tailed deer in the state. So just wiped out market hunting yeah. and unregulated hunting here in the state. And so our Fish and Wildlife team has done just a bang-up job um, with just the recovery of deer, you know, strict restrictions. And so it's crazy to think you just go like a generation and some change back. Yep. And seeing a deer was a, like an amazing thing to be in the woods and actually see one, <laughs> right. you know, like you hear, hear some of these guys from the department of fish and wildlife talk about like the first time that they saw a deer track back on their land and that, that wow. you would t- bring your friends to see it. You're like, dude, look at this. <laughs> now you can't, you can't step without stepping on. Right. Right. You know, so to go from less than 2000 to 4 million statewide in zone one, where we're kind of sitting here is like the Northern part of the state. And so with your general, um, deer license this year you had four animals on that license so one antlered and three antlerless and then you could buy bonus doe tags and so for 15 dollars, you, you get two more doe and that's unlimited antlerless yeah so doe. with your general tag you were allowed four deer without purchasing any additional nothing extra just we need the densities knocked down yeah that's cool that's crazy. Yeah, that's it's unbelievable, and it speaks to our fish and wildlife biologists and the people that really put the time into it. I mean, we have, we have the, a similar story, I would say, in Minnesota when it comes to wild turkey. Yeah. I mean, when I grew up, I never heard a gobble in the spring, never saw wild turkey, and I'm from a town where our mascot is the Aiken Gobblers. <laughs> I'm like, what gobblers? A little ironic. There's none yeah. here. You know, what is this gobbler animal? I don't know what this is. And then moved to Kentucky and obviously got into hunting those as well with, you know, you and I and, and those mentors and stuff. And then, and then moving back to Minnesota, you know, seven, eight, nine years later, and then they're everywhere. Oh, I've hunted out there just yeah, you, behind you, your yeah. dad's property. And it's like, you're like, man, yeah, there's some nice, and it's nice interesting. Cause some of those, some of those places, there's, there's great densities, but then some of those areas to hunt, those birds haven't been hunted. So they're a little bit more susceptible to maybe being fooled. Then, yeah. uh, I remember some places down here, we'd always see birds, but it was like, man, we got to really be sharp here because yeah. these birds have probably been called at and seen decoys and, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes it doesn't matter, you know, sometimes they're just so in Every the mood. Once in a while they'll come, yeah, right mm-hmm. in. But I ran into that this year several times where I could, ha- I had eyes on them 
and would call and they're just like, yeah, no. They're like, we're <laughs> not know? coming in. All right, I'm going to head out. This like, before. We're yeah. not enough in the mood yet, no, buddy. Not at all. So yeah, that's awesome. But yeah, that's, that's kind of a, it's a contrast. There's a lot of contrasts in hunting, I feel, you know, and, and having a balanced mindset about, um, we talk about a lot, just gear and animals and tactics and things like that. But I thought it'd be cool for us to talk a little bit about our specific seasons. Yeah, this season. because we've you and I, I think this year have had kind of opposite seasons. Yes, the the, the season of success and the season of a downtrodden yeah. path that I've yep. had. So why don't you go ahead and just kind of share your season? Yeah. and start. You know, you can start wherever you want and just kind of uh, let us know how it's been. First of all, it, um, this year weather-wise in Kentucky was just odd. So we had a, a really um, wet early part of the year. Like, you know, lakes were at flood stage and it was just everything was drowned out. And you're just like, is this going to be what the year is like? And then our June, July, and August drought. Oh, so wow. we had both the wettest month in history and the driest <laughs> month in history in the same year. Oh my gosh. And so it was just one of those things that, where you really thought it was just up in the air as to what the deer were going to do, what yep. the fawning, you know, rate was like in the spring, um, what it meant for mast crop. And that was another thing we had a, what they considered statewide to be almost a total mast crop failure. Whoa. So of the four masting trees in Kentucky, three of them were at failure level, and one of them was at, like, barely passable. Wow. So where they would consider them. So you didn't know what food was going to look like for animals. Um, and as it got closer to season, I, I saw a lot of pre-rut activity. Yeah. And um, hats off to our department because this year, our gun season especially nailed the rut right. this year. Well, yeah. It was perfectly within it wow in the state wow. which doesn't always happen you yeah. know you have ebbs and flows and sometimes they're early and sometimes they're late and sometimes they're just getting hot at the tail end of your firearm modern firearm yep. season you know so I, I bow hunted quite a bit um during that drought and hot time i just was not in the mood to take <laughs> dough and yep. have to deal with it immediately when so it's a hundred a hundred yeah a hundred <laughs> degrees and so i had some really nice bucks in velvet on camera this year um right behind my house one of the properties that i hunt and so i basically just hunted them yeah at the at, you know early archery season and um never really got eyes on any of them but one during daylight yeah because they're smart yeah and uh <laughs> and and all three of the nicer deer that i had on on trail cam this year got killed first weekend Dang of, of rifle season <laughs> on the adjoining property that's like when you sent me that meme the other day yeah it's is like hunting that you this target buck all year with your bow and then the opening day some gets guy on your property guy. yeah and on the yeah. neighboring property yep. shoots it yep. yep and it was dwight from the office with his toboggan like yeah. his, his toboggan <laughs> hat on and stuff yeah <laughs> and, and it's accurate you know those guys come in and they're on that property for a weekend you know and, and you've been get, hunting those deer and yeah. so it's right on the the edge of a, a nice alfalfa field there where i where i hunt and so the only tree that you can get in what and you can only get in it in a climbing stand and there's one tree that doesn't have any branches up and so it's right on the fence line it's one of the trees that the fence is nailed into right <laughs> so you have one section so and those deer never come out unless the wind is perfect, unless yeah. it's blowing from the road and where all the houses are. 
into that field and into the woods, yeah. they don't come out. So yeah. you got to get in there early. You got to get high. So your scent's blowing over top of that wooded yep. section that they come in. And so I tried to hunt it very, you know, specific only on days when it was perfect. And uh, the, all the wooded section is on the property that butts up against it. But all the field section where these deer are getting huge yeah. are on the property that I hunt. So they're come, they're hopping the fence at night, <laughs> growing their antlers like crazy, eating really good quality food. And then they hop back in the fence and get killed by a random guy on the <laughs> right. weekend is how it worked out. But yeah. um, so that was kind of a bust early season. Had a lot of opportunity on some dough and stuff, but just wasn't did wasn't really in the mood with the heat to do it so flash forward a little bit to um gun season um i just knew that the way it was looking the rut was going to be on yeah. this year at the right time and i had to purchase a um, 6.5 creed more earlier in the year yep. and just yep. got it sighted in you know before season and just felt really good about it got just, that scope put on got that really nice vortex, vortex. What, uh, which one is it's that the again light hunter lh yeah okay series um it's a uh, was it three to fifteen? Okay, yeah. Is what it incredible? Is it awesome? I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, we always had like Bushnell Walmart special scope scopes <laughs> right. growing up. You that know, you shoot once and you got to recite. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> and like they they always looked like they got a little bit of fog on the front lens, but that's just the glass. <laughs> like it's not really like that. You're like, did I forget to take a sticker off the front of this? <laughs> did or somebody something? rub sandpaper on? That's this? exactly yeah. what it looks like. So so being able to look down this thing was like a whole is a whole nother level. You know. So really looking forward to shooting it. Um, I wanted something that I could take and do some hunts out west with as well. I'm looking like, you know, I want to archery hunt a lot out out there, but, you know, eventually I want to do some rifle hunts as well. So yep. like pronghorn and, and yep. bear, something that I could take down a variety of animals, you know, but I've hunted with a 243 mm-hmm. here in Kentucky for, you know, 243 and 30-06. If you have anything outside of that, you're too fancy here right, in Kentucky. Right. You know what I mean? It's like those are just those all you're a around. Hipster. Yeah, you... exactly. You're a little too hipster for, for hipster this area. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, you go around here and even try to talk about 6.5 Creedmoor, and you might find a handful of people that even <laughs> had ever heard of it. You know, it's just, that's just the culture, man. It's like yeah. 30 out 6 does everything. Why right. would you need anything right. else? And, and arguably, you're right. Sure. It's like probably the most versatile caliber, yeah. you know, around. And so got that all sided in and everything. And then my dad and I have a tradition every year that we hunt opening day together. Yeah. You know? Yep. Um, from when I was, I, I would go out with him eight nine years old and sleep mainly you know we'd find a tree to rest right, up yep. against and i'm passing out he's sleep, hunting yep. you know and my dad's taking some a couple of really nice your, white your dad and your mom oh yeah my mom has a those nine bucks in your ha- in your mom and dad's house when i came yeah. in there i'm like oh man those yeah, are dream nice. dad deer. has like this perfect mainframe eight on the wall my mom has this nine with just really tall yeah. tines that they killed um i think three seasons apart or something like that like if you took the last Excluding this year, if you took like the last three deer I shot and like add, you know Added you the cut them and together like, and, and glued it together, it'd be my mom's <laughs> my mom's deer, which isn't embarrassing at all. <laughs> That's how that works, though. It really is. That's just how it happens. She's not hunted a day since then either. <laughs> she's like, I'll go out shoot this beautiful animal, and that'll be. Then it. I'm gonna hang it up. I retire. In. You can yeah. never call me out because <laughs> right. I'm just gonna I'm just right. gonna hold the record. So, um, so they've killed some nice deer. So we always hunt opening you know, opening day together. And we, our stands are probably 400 yards apart. Yep. Um, kind of going down a hill in off of a crop field. Um, there's a Creek that runs through and then it kind of goes up a hill long ways before it opens up and goes over into another ag field. So we hunt that transition point. It really is a nice pinch point. They love yep. running that Creek for some reason. Yep. So dad set up 
just a little off the creek. I'm up the hill a little ways, pretty much cover everything coming out of that ag field on the adjoining property. Yep. So we're hunting opening morning, um, turkey goblin like crazy. Opening really? morning, every gunshot from a surrounding <laughs> Like shot gobble them. Would shock. Any just distant. That's hilarious. Just over and over again, you know. Wow. I never could get eyes on him or uh, I might have taken a shot, but because uh, fall turkey season is open here in yeah, Kentucky yep. too. So I uh, never saw that. A little bit of a, a, a slow morning starting out, but about 8 o'clock, things started heating up a little bit. Several doe, you know, just running through. And then um, I look over to my left, and it's about a 100-yard shot down to the creek where uh, there's about a 20-foot gap where the trees break up enough to get a shot down to that creek. Well, the right side is completely open. I can shoot for a long ways over there, but that's my only shot at the creek. So I see a couple doe just fly through that gap, and I'm like, this might be something, you know. I get ready. A couple more doe come through with a really, really nice 10-point. Nose to the ground, not aware of anything else chasing those and so i this is when i knew i'm like okay this rut action is 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 on right now and so nose to the ground i i said hey out loud nothing i blew a grunt call nothing he blows through that 20 20 foot gap uh one of the does circles around and is kind of eating and trailing back through that gap he comes nudges her gets her back with the other three jeez and and all this was you know he's in that gap for maybe 3 seconds at a time yeah. not anywhere enough to get comfortable right you know zoom my scope in get a nice stable shot and so he was just in and out like crazy but i knew that he was a nice deer and so of course you're, i'm shaking at this point really yeah. excited <laughs> and and thinking well i just blew it so i text dad i'm like he was a really nice 10. Um, I don't see him coming back. They were kind of chasing up the hill, kind of stopped hearing the footsteps yep. and the chasing. And and so I'm like, well, that could have been my opportunity there. And and where we hunt is like a – it's probably a 100-acre tract of land there. And so we had never seen these deer before, which happen often here yeah. in Kentucky with the rut. Yeah. It's like you, you could hunt deer all year long and not – not see the ones that come in during yeah. the rut that you end up killing. So we hadn't even laid eyes on, on these yet with our cameras or anything. And so probably about 30 minutes later, I get a, a text from my dad. He's like, hey, man, there's a real, there's a nice eight coming your way, chasing a doe. I couldn't get a shot at him through the trees. So coming from my dad up that creek. And so uh, I had already made up in my mind, if my dad said it was nice, then I wasn't even going to look yep. at the 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 rack at all not evaluating i have a really short window of 20 feet where i know he's probably going to cross through there and so that's where i'm going to you know spend my time and so i went ahead and got um anchored on the tree from the stand that i was up in and i had my scope ready and the doe trotted through about you know 20 yards in front of him as soon as he came through that gap of trees i just yelled hey at the top of my lungs (laughs) because he was just like that first buck nose to the ground After. so yep and i knew i'm like i'm not going to give him the opportunity to just blow through there again i'm like my last resort is just to scream and yep. so you know hey as loud as i could he stops picks his head up and i just let one go yeah. so i didn't i didn't look at the rack <laughs> nothing it was just like i knew there was the one he was talking about he's coming through i had a couple second opportunity there scared my dad he's down in the you know 300 <laughs> yards away and all he hears is hey boom so oh, I get a text man. from him. He's like, you okay? You good? You, know, you good? You good, man? <laughs> He's screaming at somebody. So yeah. um, 
perfect shot. He was quartering um, to me a little ways. So right in, it nicked um, that front shoulder, both lungs, out the side. He probably went 15 yards. Wow. Um, wow. You know, really awesome. nice, symmetrical mainframe. Yeah, he's nice. Eight. Yeah, I he's saw it. really I, I nice. I saw he got his, uh, the European uh, out there in front of the garage when I pulled up this yeah, morning. I right. saw him. I'm like, man, he's nice looking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah nice buck. Um, yeah. Went out that, that uh, next weekend and um, took two to dough um, as well. My wife and I are going to attempt this year to not purchase any meat outside of what we, what we take. Wild game, yeah. Yep, wild game. And so um, I'm, I'm hoping to, to maybe get a, a few more, either maybe one or two, either with a bow or muzzle, late muzzleloader season is, is coming up. And, yep. and so, um, yep, three so far, butchered them, got the opportunity while I was butchering them. My, my family likes deer meat, so they're – a little bit like vultures. So yeah. while I'm processing, they're like, Hey, you're going to cook any of that. So I got the <laughs> opportunity to cook for my mom, dad, my sisters, That's you know, awesome. the night that we took them. But, and it's, it's some special about that opening weekend, you know, with dad, because yep. we always, you know, one of us typically, you know, takes a, takes a nice buck at that time. Then we'll process it together, spend the day, just, yep. you know, spending time together. So really really good season yeah that's awesome me. just that tradition that's so fun that that tradition I, of it's things like, it's like half of it yeah for me especially yeah. with you know with gun season because i love to extend my season you know with Bo, like what we had talked about but um when the time comes for you know modern rifle season here in kentucky you know it's like my dad and i we always go out yeah and, and spend that time so i have no problem laying down my bow for that for that totally you know, couple weeks right and uh getting to spend time with him and you know obviously your odds go way up yep which doesn't hurt if, yeah. you're, if you're looking to get some meat right you know we right. had eaten our last deer like three months ago it was like that last package you know coming out of the out of the freezer so we were really looking to to stock up our freezer yeah. again again that's awesome so so total three you got a nice buck and two does and, and two does so far you know both on the same night they were running together and you know just it just worked out well and then um kind of letting that property rest a little bit right now before yeah. i get back out there with the bow we've um total there's a couple other people that hunt it we took six deer off that property okay um like a hundred acre like i said and in yep. that whole property pretty much is a transition from a big ag field on one side to a big ag field on the other okay and so it's uh those woods you know are kind of like a safe haven for them and it's a transition point so we just didn't want to hit it too hard we're gonna right. let it rest we'll probably i'll archery hunt it probably this coming up week yep and then uh muzzleloader is the mid-december like 10th i think so yeah awesome season. Awesome, man. Well, yeah, that's that's a that's a heck of a season just to be able to come into gun season with that tradition and stuff with your dad and and get it done. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, too, because like what we've talked about before is a lot of it tradition, especially tradition can be kind of gathered around. You don't always have to be successful. Right. But it really is nice to be successful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's the thing, as I think sometimes we kind of play this swan song is outdoorsman where we're, we're after a hunt we're like mm. oh but yeah you know it was it was just such a great time and 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 not that it wasn't but when you when you accomplish what you're doing the tradition for yeah. it makes it better well there's I mean, no doubt like you, when we went to south dakota and and got that weather right, last year right we, we had a good time it's not that we didn't have a good time but but like we've said before there was a goal involved yeah. and we didn't accomplish that goal. Uh, we had a, we had a great time, but that goal was, was what we missed out on. And so to come to be driving back with deer in the cooler would have been 
even better. Well, it's like you, know? you go and you get invited to participate in the Olympics. I'm sure that whole thing is an awesome experience. Right. But it's sweeter if you come back if with you a medal. medal. Like, right, you know, right. Yeah, it's just, right. <laughs> it's, like, it's like that with anything. But, yeah, for some reason, I feel like we uh, sometimes, and not that it isn't, you know, like a semi-spiritual experience to spend sure. time outdoors. Yeah. I, I've, I honestly, I, that's one of the draws to it for me. Totally. Is to be out me there too. in nature, and, and it is that level. But sometimes we mystify it too much. Right. You know, right. especially in those times <laughs> when we're not successful, it's right. like, yeah, but let me tell you about, you know, right. and it gets, it gets a little bit that way. But, you know, good time either way, but it's a lot sweeter. Right. When you get the opportunity to take something. Yeah, because like we've said before, a lot of the things we do as hunters, without killing an animal, we could just do that in in a normal and you know normal time and normal environment. We could go around and hike outside and sleep in a tent and do arguably cheaper. Yeah. Well, yeah, much (laughs) cheaper. Yeah, because gear these days, you know, gear these days, and then you know, especially if you're going like out west, you're talking about putting in for preference Travel, points for drawing yep, time and, away from work all yep. that so yeah my uh get into my whitetail season a little bit i think this year actually the past three years have been a little different for me and i can't complain because the reason they've been different is because of getting the opportunity to go to alaska but when i get home you know it, it was kind of explaining to danielle which danielle and i the reason we're in kentucky is thanksgiving coming yeah. down to visit her family and and Cody and I always always take the opportunity to meet up and was explaining to her that while I'm in Alaska, I'm I'm hunting, but I'm not hunting. Right. You know, I'm I'm hunting for somebody else. Yeah. And I'm not I'm so I'm not hunting for me. Yeah. So, and there's a big difference. Yeah. When you're out taking somebody and trying to help them take an animal, it's not the same as when you're doing it for yourself. Yeah. So when I come home. This year I had a goal on trying to get Gage out and, and waterfowl hunt quite a bit. And we had the chance to get out some and with some some good buddies there. Well, Chad and Joe got mm-hmm. out with those guys and did a capable partners hunts. And But my whitetail season didn't really start till the second half of October because I got home from Alaska. And then, of course, I'm not prepared to just get my hunting stuff ready and start hunting. Right. And... Uh, you know, time to spend time with family and stuff. So Danielle and I also went on a, on a 10 year anniversary vacation to uh, California. Oh yeah. And so we, I got back from that and then I kind of took the next week or so to get ready, get my, mm. you know, shoot my bow. Cause it's tough. I leave, I leave beginning of August and come back in the middle of September when our archery season starts and I haven't even yeah. shot my bow for a month and yeah, a half. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's you know? tough. So I have to get back into it. And now I'm feeling really comfortable at this point. But hunted the last couple of weeks of October with just minimal, you know, sightings. Hunting some public land that I kind of e-scouted. And then you get there and it's completely looks different way than different. what you think. You're like, man, that looks like a really nice pinch point or transition area. Yeah. Or, man, look at that field edge. And then you get there and there's no tree to put a stand in or... You know, it's wet or, mm-hmm. you know, I had a hunt this year where I, I went in and I was up to like just below my rib cage in water. I knew there was going to be some water, but I didn't know how wet it was going to be. So I brought waders and I had to wear waders to get back into this spot where I thought, man, nobody was going to take the time to get back in there. And it definitely looked like they hadn't and yeah. there were sign, but I didn't see a thing. I'm like, man, what is going on? And uh, so then there was a property, a nice property that I've had the opportunity to hunt the past few years 
And this year, I never got the call to come out there until opening morning of gun season, or well, opening uh, the night before gun season opened. Yeah. He's like, man, you want to come out? And, you know, at this point, I don't, it's a shotgun only area. Mm-hmm. So I don't have a, a, a shotgun with a scope ready. So I'm like, well, I'm just going to have to bring my bow and yeah. hope for the best. And sure enough, you know, opening morning of gun season in Minnesota, I see like three bucks and four does. And one of the bucks was a nice eight pointer. Uh, I didn't bring my, I, you know, I went against my better judgment. I should have brought my stand in in the morning and set up and got, yeah. got ready. But he's like, oh, I got a tripod stand out there you can use. And um, the stand placement, was, although great for a gun, was not great for a bow with having yeah, to draw. Totally different setup. And so this buck comes in 20 yards, but he's quartering to me as he's trotting in with his nose down. And, mm-hmm. and I'm like, if I don't, you know, stand and draw back, in kind of one fluid motion and just take the opportunity to try to get drawn on him, it's not going to happen. And sure enough, as soon as I stand up, he sees me and takes off. I'm like, man, you know, which wouldn't happen in, you know, in a, in kind of a archery setup stand. Yeah. So, um, so that was, it was a cool morning. Got, got to see a lot of deer movement, but then the rest of gun season kind of happened. And then I was able, the landowner allowed me to go back in there, uh, you know, post gun season, which mm-hmm. gun season went out about a week ago, which we all know that everything changes oh, man. after modern firearm yeah. any, in any state, the yeah. deer movement and, and predictability is gone. Yeah. Just, I, I feel like the main thing is, although they're still breeding and still chasing and, you know, some people say, well, the, the reason I'm not seeing them is because they're in lockdown. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, no, the reason we're not seeing them is because, you know, bullets and arrows don't fly during nighttime yeah exactly. <laughs> that's why you're not yeah, seeing them exactly. then they figure that out yeah they know oh i'm not being shot at when it's dark yep and and they're smart i think they're way smarter than we give them credit for not necessarily that that's cognitive abilities mm-hmm. but but their senses are so tuned differently than ours right. that they they respond to their environment through their senses at a different level than even sometimes we can cognitively. Yeah, well, you and I were talking about that the other day because I think, you know, a lot of people have had that encounter where you get busted by a mature doe who arguably are some of the toughest to fool. <laughs> you know, they're just, you know, they, once they get to a certain age, those does are just, they're tough to fool. And, you know, where you get busted by one in a stand and the next time that you see her, she walks to the edge of the field and looks up at the stand. Right where you are. Yeah. I- immediately. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They're tough to fool. And typically the stuff that you get away with once, you know, you won't get away with again right. if you get busted. Right. And yeah, and especially outside of the rut with a with a big mature male, mm-hmm. you know, deer, it's like, man, they just become like ninjas. Yeah. Like what in the world? Like we were talking before we turned the podcast on is you get this big, beautiful, mature whitetail uh, on, you know, kind of a target deer. You're like, man, if I could shoot any deer, it'd be that one this year. And then, you know, you, you see him on trail camera. Maybe you go in when, when the wind's not really right and you probably shouldn't have maybe and the next thing you know you don't ever see him again yeah for the rest of your life not on camera yeah or or, or lay your eyes on him right and you, like you said ever again not even just that season <laughs> right. you might never see that <laughs> right. you're like again. where did he go yeah you know and so yeah we you know for me it was like now these last this last week um or two weeks i guess have been hunting a property that is that is considerable in size, seeing the 
seeing the most sign that I've ever seen anywhere that mm-hmm. I've ever hunted and not seeing a single deer. Yeah. And I, and we talked about, you know, part of that possibility, um, part of that possibly being 200 acres of standing corn on that property, yeah. you know, and if, and if that were to change, if you were to see them come in and, and harvest that corn, then things would, I think, change. You'd yeah. see a lot more activity, but I think that they're kind of been pressured into that corn from in the woodlots and, they're obviously safe in there because nobody's stocking in on a deer through you, you can standing eat corn. and you have cover in you know in the same field right that's... right so and i i don't necessarily know that that's they want to be in that corn i think in a perfect world they don't but i think they get pressured and they know this is a safe place yep. and it's like a sanctuary so you know i've seen like i told you the other day on the phone i saw literally 50 rubs in an in a period of walking just walking around for about an hour. Wow. You know, just got down middle of the day, walked around 50 rubs, probably 25 scrapes. Wow. So they're still, they're still active, but I think it's that daylight factor. They're just like, man, I am not in danger at night. And so, uh, I'm going to, I'm thinking about putting a couple cameras out just to kind of see where they might be transitioning through. And then late season, as they transition back to food, I think I'll have a little bit better yeah. opportunity I think especially with archer that's where your best opportunities comes from you know three weeks to a month after gun season things have settled down right where they're not just on point <laughs> right. the civil war the has time. subsided <laughs> yeah right yeah yeah and you they know. feel safe going out there again but yeah so uh, uh, this is i've been pretty fortunate since 2007 when i started archery hunting there's only been one year that i didn't harvest a whitetail and that was the second year I moved back home to Minnesota. So hopefully, I'm gonna, I mean, at this point, I'm going to shoot a doe, at whatever right. I can do to just get a deer and get some meat in the freezer. Because, yeah, we're, we're low, if not out. I can't remember if we've got maybe a couple packages in the freezer. But Standards start, start to change. Oh, yeah. With that, yeah. and then just after you've had a ex- rough start experience, mm-hmm. yeah, things yeah. start to change a little bit. Yeah, so like I was telling you, the last six sits in different areas with the wind in my favor, in all those areas, I haven't seen a single deer. Yeah. In the last six times I've been out. That'll so beat that, you up a little bit. Yeah, you're just like, man, come on. So it, it, it what... It, what it starts to create is this mindset that you're probably not going to see anything. So yeah. why go? Yeah. You know, you, you, you're like, man, I haven't seen anything in the last six times. Why am I going to see something the seventh yeah. time? And, and for me, I've learned enough now and been in it, in it just long enough. You know, I'm not some seasoned veteran, but I've been in it long enough to know that that will be the time that, that I probably would have gotten it done. Yeah. You know? And well, yeah, it's with anything like that. A, a three hour sit can feel like days in length when there's nothing going on, but a, an all day sit feels like 15 minutes if things are running right. and happening around right. you. You know, it, it kind of just comes to that mental toughness. And there's some people that are way tougher than me. If you're pulling 12 hour sits in a deer stand, you're a boss. Yeah. I'm, I, I stand by, and I mean, this is coming from somebody who's, I, I get the opportunity to go on back-to-back sheep hunts in mm-hmm. Alaska. And dark-to-dark dark sits in, you know, or, well, you know, morning to evening, daylight to dark sits in, in a, in a white-tailed deer stand, like you say, if there's not much movement, are one of the hardest things. Because yeah. it's, all, it's all mental. Yep. You know, it's not, it's not physical at all, but it's mentally so taxing. 
And so, well, yeah. And you feel like you can only look at the same shooting lane <laughs> so many times. Right. Only visualize a buck coming through there so many yeah, times. Over and over again, you know, picturing exactly where he's going to pop out. And then yep. you add you had squirrels and things like that into the mix where you're always just hearing noise and just having to check it out yeah, all day long, dude, just wears you're on you. are always on edge a little bit. Or always. At least you should be, you yeah. know, instead of sometimes take a nap or something. But, but yeah, so it's been a tough season. So I'm hoping that late season I'm able to figure something out and figure out um, kind of a pattern of maybe those deer going back to feed. And that's one of the things we were going to talk a little bit about tactics. We could transition into tactics a little bit because – you know, a lot of people are like, you know, a lot of people think, why would you want to make something harder? And, and, and when it comes to hunting and like the reason that I just, I like to archery hunt, it, it really comes down to just, that's just what I like to do. Yeah. You know, like those guys that morning, they're like, well, I got a shotgun you could borrow, you know, and, yeah. and I'm not a big proponent of borrowing somebody else's unproven gun. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, but I'm like, no, I'll, I'll just use a bow. And sure enough, a buck came in that if I had a gun, you know, I'd have a yeah. nice eight pointer, but with a bow, it was different. And, and it's just, it's just what I like to do. And I like that experience of having to try to figure out to get that close to a yeah. deer. And, you know, and I totally get the argument from people who are like, you know, why would you make something that's already hard, harder right. by, you know, and but but the thing is, is I don't think that about traditional archers. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I'm not like, why would you want to? No, I'm like, man, that's legit. You yeah. have a different level of commitment than I do because I, I've, I've not had the bug bite me to go shoot a trad bow and try to hunt. Yeah. I'd like to shoot them. Yeah. But to hunt with it is a different level. Well, and you have guys that take over 100 animals with them. And yeah. it's just a whole different level. Yeah. Whole different so, level. So, yeah, it's a... You know, when we talk a little bit about tactics, and we were joking a little bit before we turned on the podcast about white-tailed deer superiority, <laughs> the and, big debate. Yeah, and there's been some, there's been uh, some of the accounts I follow on Instagram or people that I know in the industry kind of talking about this recently, yep. and you know, one kind of prominent figure saying that a, a mature white-tailed deer buck might be the hardest animal you know, big game animal to take when, when kind of just in the general generality of like elk, mule deer, yeah. whitetail, just kind of those three, uh, ungulates being so accessible. Right. And we were talking about that a little bit because I think you and I are both pretty partial to whitetail cause we've grew up, we've grown up in areas where they, yeah. where they live. That's your main big, big game animal, you know, especially right. before the reintroduction of elk in Kentucky, it was like, you never, whitetail hunting is just what you did. It was right. the largest big game animal that we had access to. Now yeah. you got elk and bear that are coming back in, but, right. but you know. Well, and we've had experience too, like, uh, hunting mule deer. One of the differences I know, and I love all three of these animals. So this isn't to say, you know, that one's better than the, the other one, but I think in terms of difficulty, I've had, I've had mule deer that if I had a rifle and I didn't have to pull my range finder up again to mm -hmm. range it, um, many mule deer I could have killed because maybe they jump out of their bed and bound off 30 yards and stop. Yeah. They have that habit that's bad for them. White yeah. tails, man, you bump them. 
they gone. They're, yeah. <laughs> they yep. don't stop. No. Nope. They don't look back. They're they don't like, stop. And they will blow the whole time they're running just right. to alert anything <laughs> within else. a half mile. Right. Right. And you it's just, up. you're like, man. And we talked about this a little bit. I think one of the things is that out of those three, they by far live in densities. Mm-hmm in close proximity to people yeah. at a greater degree than the others. Yeah. I mean, we're sitting in a coffee shop and I guarantee that within a quarter mile of us, yes. there's a white tailed deer For somewhere. Sure. Yep. I mean, and we're in like, we're, we're in a small downtown in this small yep. town. And, you know, and, and I know that, I know that those other animals frequent, you know, populated places, but the indensities, yeah. white tails are so and, and they seem in to contact. Have found a way to thrive. Yeah, you got the cars hitting them and things like that, but they thrive in urban environments. Yep, as yep. a as a deer species like none other, and are still hard to kill in yep. those environments. And we were talking a little bit about. I think one of the one of the thoughts I've thought had about white tails is that they are they live the majority of the time they live in tight quarters in their environment, you know, whether it be woodlots or swamps or, Mm -hmm. you know, they're not, they don't live out in the open so much and they become just more cagey because of that. They, they, they're always like where I'm from, you know, wolves, coyotes, here coyotes, bears, uh, whatever it might be, they're always in close proximity and they're always in tight quarters. Like in Alaska, for instance, I'm not, I'm, I'm never, Grizzly bears aren't an issue because it's so wide open. I can see for miles in every direction. Yep. So you're going to see a bear. Yeah. But when I get down into those willow bars where I can only see like five feet, maybe, yep. then I'm very, I'm, I'm on really high yep. alert, you know? Yep. And you got to think like, that's how whitetails for the majority of their range live in close proximity where there could be a coyote five feet away that has snuck in downwind of them and they don't know, Yep. you know, and, and so it's just, it's really interesting when we talk about it. And, and of course we're joking when we say white tailed deer superiority to a degree. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> and I feel like, like with, you know, people that have talked about it, I think it even valid, uh, kind of validates it further when they, a lot of these people are Western hunters that have come and then began began to hunt whitetail right and and see and understand right how hard it is to kill and a have mature killed white tons tail. of elk and tons of exactly. deer. and then they yeah like you say they come to to hunt in the midwest on a whitetail hunt and they're like good gracious yep. you can't mess up you can't move you you i mean nothing can go wrong if yep. anything goes wrong that's it and, and you look at at a mature whitetail and you take the time to set up a deer stand, pick a location, set up a deer stand, you blow it once, he's not coming back. So (laughs) you hope that the next season that those deer that come across there, that you don't mess it up then because you're not going to see them from that location. So what are you going to do? Move your stand? Right, right. Either that or you're going to hope that next season that's cycled out of his memory and he's still alive or that you get a new group of deer coming through that applies to what's going on. And I've thought so many times, and this goes across the board for all game species, but especially with whitetail because you're so stationary Mm -hmm. that you're not going on a stock usually for them. So what I've thought about lately is as hunters, we only really have one of our senses that we can use to evaluate our success rates, and that's our eyes. Right. So I've thought, how many times have mature animals 
you know, been headed our way, but because of, of one thing or another, we never even saw them. Mm-hmm. They detected us and turned around and, and came yeah. back, the, went back the way they came. Yeah. And I think, I think probably more often maybe than we even see them that happens. Yeah. So we don't even know to the extent of how cagey they are because we just think, oh, you know, I rattled and I watched this buck, you know, circle downwind of me, get my wind and leave. Well, what about, what about all the times we didn't see one circle and he stayed hidden the whole yep. time? So it just because you know they're so quiet, such dense yeah. areas. Like like you say all the time, it's like squirrels will sound like deer, but deer never <laughs> sound like squirrels. No, when it's a deer, you know it's a deer. <laughs> exactly. But, but it, we still get fooled every time. Every time you know by you a hear squirrel. that, you're like, oh, oh yeah. Dang it. And then you look over and it's just a squirrel just jumping into piles yeah, of leaves yeah, off see. of logs. You know, <laughs> practicing gymnastics. <laughs> you see that tail flick, uh-huh. and you're like. You're like, you, you know, know what you want it your is. 22 and but start. they're just like you said, they're so smart. And you, you take, you know, mature does, they're hard to fool, anyways. You talk about always being on point, being educated, yep, like they know what's going on. And you even hear stories of, I've never witnessed this myself, of like, you know, mature deer coming to, you know, an opening. And like literally getting down close to the ground, like almost and like crawl. semi crawling yeah. until they get back into some thick stuff. Yep. I was, you know, how you can just search on Instagram, like you hit that search button and mm-hmm. it just pulls up a bunch of random things. And I hit that the other, like a few days ago, and saw a hunter uh, video a deer do that. Came into an opening where there was kind of some brush, and 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 it moved itself kind of in the. In, where there was an opening and it moved itself through this brush. And then when it got to that opening, it got down low, almost like it crawled across the opening. And it's like, well, why is it doing that? Other than it knows that there's something in its environment that's not right. And and that being in that open is a vulnerable right. space It's just for crazy, him. man. It's you know, a, or you'll, it's see fun. Him, you'll see him come to the edge of fields and yep. push other deer out in the field first. Right. And you'll see mature deer wait <laughs> Back for in a there. couple minutes. Yep. Yep. All right, I guess it's safe. I'm, yep. I'm coming out. And it's just... There, like you said, you typically get one chance with yeah. with whitetails. The cool thing too is that if you're hunting any type of food source, we've talked about this before, and it's so annoying because you know shoot with archery, you have to you have to have that time to draw. Yeah, and we've talked about so many times seeing those mature does come into that food source, and you're in your stand, the wind's right, but maybe they just kind of notice. I think a lot of times deer will notice that something's not right what that may, maybe they look up and we think you know they're looking right at us mm-hmm. and i think i think if they knew it was a human they'd take off yeah but i think they just see something that's different than it was before and they're not quite sure and so they maybe their cognitive ability isn't like ours where if we were staying in the food pot right. we'd look up and be like oh there's a dude sitting there yeah you know and i think i think that speaks to maybe their vision being different yeah and the fact that we are predators our eyes are on the front of our faces right. so we have depth perception maybe that that they don't have yeah. but not saying they can't see well but they can't register that cognitively like yep. we can especially void of movement yeah if you're and, not moving yeah. and the and the wind's right so i think if they knew it was a human they'd be gone but they're like something's not right about that i'm just going to kind of keep my eye on it and we've joked about many times you know a big mature doe will come in and put her head down to eat and she'll like try to fake you out yep. or something like they put their head down to eat and then they pop their head back up super fast and look right at you yep. like 
I'm going to kind of see if that thing will move while yeah. I'm faking him out. And it's they'll just do that over and <laughs> over again. Yeah. And, and if I hadn't seen it so many times, I would think it's just a coincidence. Yeah. But I feel I, I'm convinced that they're like, you know, I'm going to. And, and maybe they experience that in their environments with predators. Maybe if a coyote, coyote is yeah. just still. You know, and they look over and see something's not right, and they, they're like, man, I don't know. I feel a little uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of, like, act like they're not paying attention and then look back real quick to see if that coyote's yep. kind of moving in. Crouching in a little bit. So I think they do the same thing to us, you yeah. know. And they're I, relentless with movement. Yeah. It's like once yeah. you're busted with movement, that, that, that mature doe will not take her right. eyes off of right. you. You know, I've had them for 20 or 30 minutes straight. She's just staring down, and then she'll blow or stomp. <laughs> I know. You just know something that just gets over. you, and then you know there's not a thing that you can do. You might as well leave. Yeah. Once that, that once point. that matriarchal doe yep. blows that whole countryside out, you might as well just get down and get out yep. of there because nothing's coming. And they trust her. You know, that's another yeah, thing. You get yeah. those mature doe, and everybody's kind of looking mm-hmm. to them to see what's well, going on. And a truly, like you said, with mature does being uh, uh, difficult to to kill. You know, the reason is, I think, because depending on how old they are, they may have they may have had offspring three, four years. Yeah, yeah. So they're they're going through that environment, not only having to think about their own protection, but also the protection of this super susceptible, you know, offspring that yeah. can't really do anything other than just run. Yep. And they're having to guide that animal as well. Yep. So they are not only used to taking care of themselves in dangerous environments, but taking care of, of this, you know, kind of helpless yeah. animal as well. And, you know, that's, you know, word to mamas out there, I guess, yeah, because right. that's pretty intense. <laughs> you know, bucks, bucks, the only reason that, you know, that, that obviously their Achilles heel is that breeding time. Yeah. And they, they I mean, what man doesn't know yeah. about that? Oh, you know, yeah, men right. as men, that just is something, it's like a, it's like... You always laugh when you hear guys say, "Man, the woods are crazy right now. The the, the switch is flipped." Yep. You know, and it's like, yep. well, that's how that is. That's how, yeah. For humans, <laughs> for humans, and and, yeah, across yeah. the board for all species. It's <laughs> yeah. just males. But like we, you said, they're just looking out for themselves the rest of the year. Right. 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 You're not protecting offspring. It's right. Like you're you're you batch it up with a couple of other other bucks during smart old bucks, smart old bucks, and then it come a time <laughs> of year where you guys split up and yep. you know fight each other. And fight over the girl in the bar or whatever yep, it yep. is, you know, that's going on. So, yeah, they're just super cool. And we just wanted to, you know, take a, a little bit of time to kind of sit down and talk and, and let everybody know uh, how our seasons have been going. Hopefully when I get back, I can try to make something happen. Cody's going to continue and try to, try to you know, maybe get late muzzleloader or late, yep. late bow season, try to get another deer down. And um, But we wanted to kind of take towards the end of this, um, late season's coming up, and we, we've only got a few minutes here that we kind of want to talk about this, but late season's coming up, and so just the tactics for late season, you kind of hear whitetail tactics being food early, patternable, rut, everything goes out the window, yep. then late season back again to food. Yep. And definitely for for that's been my experience. For you know, And there's obviously, there's obviously kind of give and take in all those areas where you can see things kind of crossing over into those different ideas. But, but late season, man, um, these bucks have been just running themselves ragged Yeah, and they are going to 
you know, the, the, the switch is going to flip the other way yep. and they're going to realize that maybe 20 to 30%, you know, 20% of their body weight has been lost to chasing does around for the last month. And they're going to start to think about, man, I need to winners coming, yep. especially in, in my area where yeah, it's like dude, a whole different level for you. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, when your temperatures are below zero on a consistent basis mm-hmm. and they just need that, those calories. So if you have food sources near where you're hunting, I think one of the best tactics that I've used is to, is to, if you have an idea where those deer are coming out into that food source Mm -hmm. is to actually for your first sit is to sit away from that almost as a scouting mission. Mm -hmm. And if you get the chance that one comes by great, but sit away from that area and watch where they're coming out because they'll, they'll a lot of times be decently patternable late and then make your decision to say, okay, I'm only hunting over there based on where they're coming out. I'm only going to hunt over there when the wind is perfect Mm -hmm. and I'm going to try to get in there nice and quiet. And, you know, I think that's a a really good way to kind of get in on, uh, where deer are coming into a food source is to try to, because a lot of times, like for instance, if you go in there and you don't know where they're coming out, it's hard to know what the right wind is. Yes. You know, it is the right wind. Yeah. And obviously, usually the wind is right if it's blowing from a wood line out into Mm -hmm. an open field. That's always a good wind for the most part because they're they're probably coming from the wood line. You know, but if I feel like the the times I've seen the majority of animals have been when the wind is almost bad, Mm. when it's like they're coming, maybe I'm sitting in in the edge of a wood lot and they're coming out to the south of me. Um, and I give up that direction that maybe the wind is blowing to the north right? and just believe that nothing's going to come out to the north of me. And, yep. and then when I'm right, it for some reason just seems like I see a lot more animals like that because I f- do feel that when it's too perfect, deer also know, okay, if I go out here, the wind is not in my face. Yep. And, and so I can't smell danger as I'm going this yep. whole time. I'm walking into a place that I can't with my best sense I have yep. detect danger. And so, when, yep. but when it, but when it's kind of iffy. Yeah. When it's like 80% in their favor, it's kind of that window where yeah, it's like, yeah. uh, you know, and the, yep. yeah, you got to give up movement. if you give up just something, you know, but if you go in there and you just are like, well, I'm just going in there and we all know you go in there with the wrong wind. It, even on a big mature buck like that, if he's if he's back out of the rut and he's just looking for food, and you you may never see him, and he got your wind, and yep. guess what? For the rest of the season, you're gonna sit there and not see him. Yep. <laughs> oh yeah. You'll you'll never even know that he was around. No, because you're still hoping that he's gonna transition out of only moving at dark. Yep. You know. Anyway. So and, yeah, and there's a good chance that he will, but he if he gets if he, if that gets burned. There you More go than again. once, he's back, back nocturnal yeah. again. Yeah. You know, so I, just as late season goes, you know. Yeah, and I, I always look for. Um, a lot of times, I'll hunt mast crops, so some some acorns and stuff um, in the morning, typically. Yeah. Um, obviously, white right wind and everything, but I'll, I'll hunt those early in the morning because a lot of deer will be transitioning out of those fields 
back into these wood yep, lines wood where yep. a lot of this mass crop is. And so that gives me an opportunity to get in early while they're still in the field yep. and get set up and hopefully get them transitioning. And they'll stop and eat that mass crop a lot of times coming out of a field, even going to bed. Sure. Yep. And so I look for that. And then I typically will hunt field edge and pinch points in the evening. Yeah. Yeah. So just reverse yep. that because I know if I leave and then have to go back in, I got a good opportunity of bumping them in the wood so it's yep. like what chance do i have of get in and get set up before they come through yep and so i'll, I'll do that morning more wood totally uh, you know field edge towards the evening and yeah. like you said just do your best to pattern them you know i know a lot of people that pull their trail cameras after early season if you can get back to that where they're patterned a little yep. bit coming yep. back to food that'll give you a huge advantage to know especially if you have um a camera that reads you know where the wind was coming from that day or, yeah. you know, forecast wind. It might not be right. right for that area, but at least to give you a general idea to make a plan, they're great tools. Totally, totally. Yeah, so if you're still at it, you know, like Cody and I, just uh, be confident that, man, I'm going to go, I'm going to use, you know, use the tactics I know, everything that I know to try to get back back in on these deer. And and uh, and, and that kind of transitions into the last point one to bring up. Man, we started Contact Outdoors as a platform, not only for ourselves, but for for our listeners and the people that we come into contact with. So if you've got a great story about maybe a buck you killed or a doe you shot or maybe one you didn't shoot um, or, you know, just any anything from hunting season that stuck out to you, an environment that you had the opportunity to be in or a place you had the opportunity to go, man, share that story with us. Shoot us an email on our website. There's actually a page that you can fill out a form kind of sharing a little bit of your story with us. We want Contact Outdoors to be a platform for you to to share your stories as well. I, you know? I remember growing up and like when I would have a successful uh, day in the woods, dad and I would always go down and um, we had a friend that was a taxidermist that lived like three houses down for us. And the guys just gathered there mm -hmm. in the afternoon. Mm -hmm all opening weekend in modern farms and you'd come in and just get to tell your story. Yeah. And I just remember how fun that was being yeah. as a 12 and 13 year old boy to be able to come in there and explain to them what happened. I and mean, to hear their stories and, and look at the deer that have been oh, taken. Yeah. A land in the, in the pile getting ready to be, you yep. know, to, you know, taxidermy. And it's just like, it's such a huge part of being in the outdoors is like yep. being able to share those those stories and totally. And, and obviously the more stories that we can, that we can put out there that are positive, the better, you right. know, in our, in our cultures today. So again, please, if don't feel like your story is insignificant at all, because n none of our outdoor stories are insignificant, yeah. you know? And so one of the best ways we share those is sometimes we, we try to contact people to come on the podcast, but for the most part, it's a blog. If you don't feel comfortable writing, we are not, worried about being, you know, per, have, having you be some professional or perfect writer. Right. And if you want it to be kind of checked over, we've got a team member, Chad's really good at that. He yep. can take a look at it and, and we can post it up on our blog and, and share it with people that, that we come in contact with. So, uh, please go ahead and do that. Uh, give us a rating and review. If you haven't already, let us know how we're doing. And we're just, you know, we're loving the opportunity to kind of bring this, format to you guys so thanks again for all the support from everybody we really appreciated all the guys from contact outdoors and i i think do. we uh have some video projects coming up finally again yeah. too that you can be on the lookout for that i you know think would be <laughs> be awesome for you to see we've been 
been away from it a little bit. <laughs> we have, yeah. Trying to get back to it a little bit. We all have, all everybody has kind of their lives and what's going on, but we all kind of look forward to bringing and putting out some content that hopefully will inspire everybody. So yeah, that, uh, I think that's going to do it. We've been taking up this space at this coffee shop now for an hour and six minutes. All right. So. <laughs> I was wondering what the looks were all about. Yeah. There, <laughs> so guys, thanks for joining us. Uh, Cody, it's always good to have you on and hopefully that's going to be something that we do even just more often in the future. It's I think good for people to hear from you. And, um, now we're going to go hang out with our wives a little bit and, Uh, have a good time. So thanks again, everybody. Thanks y'all. The contact outdoors crew would like to send out a sincere thank you to all of our listeners. The backcountry dreaming podcast is brought to you by contact outdoors and directed by Brian Hallberg, original music and audio production by Nakota Rankin. Connect with us online. Links to our website, Instagram, and Facebook can be found in the show notes.